Good morning, Midland Free. Did you know that I can even recognize who's here sometimes by your voices singing? That's kind of cool. I can actually hear you sometimes. I'm behind stage and I'm listening. I'm like, oh, I think they're so-and-so. I'm glad they're here. Keep singing. It's beautiful. We're delighted you're here. In fact, when the um, <clears throat> flood waters rage, what better time to sing? How many of you were at least slightly affected this week? Or maybe even more than slightly affected, yeah. We have at our church a, way, a number of ways of helping people. Uh, we can do that in very uh, tangible ways in the sense we do have a benevolence fund uh, primarily for the members of our congregation. And if you need immediate assistance, feel free to contact our church and there's a system that we work through. If you're in trouble, we can help. We also are working on, uh, Pastor Gibb is assembling a team of people depending all this is in flux and in work this morning on people who are capable and able to help. So please feel free to contact Pastor Gibb, and we're certainly praying for you. Our uh, pastoral team meets tomorrow morning, and we're assembling a list of people who have been affected by the flood. So we want to uh, pray for you as well. So in a number of different ways, either through prayer or um, actual you know, manual labor or perhaps even um, through emergency assistance, we can help as well. So feel free to contact us. We'll do the best we can or at least get you moving in the right direction. But let me pray for you guys and welcome you here as we think about all the adventures, not only of the flood, but also some of the missions teams uh, that have gone out this week have also faced some various um, additional challenges as well. So Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we can worship you. Um, regardless of what's going on around us. Thank you for the blood of your Son, the matchless name of Christ, and uh, the anointing that he provides. We praise you and thank you as we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Pastor David said in his prayer, we're beginning a new sermon series. This is summertime, and so we're changing things up a little bit. We just finished with the book of Jonah, and now we're moving into the life of King David. And if you're someone who's been in church before, you've probably heard of this guy, the giant slayer, the one who killed Goliath and many other amazing feats. But what I want to do is sort of start you at the beginning and walk you through and introduce you to this character, hopefully in a whole new way, not just as a fairy tale or a bedtime story, but as a real person who had a dramatic life that teaches us how to live and follow after God's own heart. So we're going to look at David's story. And in that, I hope you will see uh, many parts of your story as well. This week, it was a Wednesday, which means it's a board meeting evening for me. And so I'll be here for a little while. Um, I call my family at dinner time and say, hey, how's it going? You know, touch and base, stuff like this. And my wife put my three-year-old daughter on the phone. And you never know how that's going to go. Usually it's not my three-year-old daughter on the phone. Usually it's a little boy or something like that. And this time it was a little girl. So I'm listening carefully and thinking, how do I, you know, how do I communicate? And strangely enough, which she usually doesn't, she asked me a question. She said, Daddy, how's your sermon going? I was like, well, okay, what's your sermon going to be on? I said, well, I'm thinking to myself, all right, my sermon, it's still developing, you know, and it's on David's anointing. 
I'm like, how do you tell a three-year-old it's on David's anointing? Because if I do, you know what's going to happen, right? She's going to think anointing. <laughs> Bippity-boppity-boo, right? <laughs> Ding, anointed. You know, now the pumpkin is a coach and the, prince, you know, the princess has a dress. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't even, I don't have any idea how to explain anointing to her. And in fact, as I think about it this morning, I might not even have any idea how to explain it to you. Because depending upon your tradition, an anointing may mean a lot of different things. You may have grown up in a tradition where the word anointing was kind of like taboo. Like, you don't talk about this. That's those sort of weird people over there that, you know, flip around and do weird stuff in church. And that's not us. Right? We don't talk about the Holy Spirit here. We're Trinitarian, but we only talk about Jesus, you know? That's the way we worship. And then there's another crew where anointing, man, you, you mean anointing. I mean anoint my house, anoint my kids, anoint my car, anoint my dog. I mean anoint it all, you know. What does it mean, anointing? We live in a Western world and we don't use anointing ceremonies a whole lot. So it can be quite a strange thing depending upon your either theological tradition or your cultural backgrounds. For a lot of us, anointing may not be something we see very often or have any idea what it is. As I thought about this, how to explain it to my daughter, what I said to her was, Honey, what, what I'm talking about this Sunday is how God chose David. How much God loved him. And how God promised to be with him wherever he went to encourage him to heal him to strengthen him and to bless him all the days of his life that's what i mean when we're talking about anointing it sounds like this strange mystical concept that only weirdos over here practice or you know we don't talk about over there or whatever but what it is is actually a very significant thing that I think a lot of the Western church just leaves entirely out of their theology because we don't know what to do with it or how to deal with it. But in reality, what anointing is, is something that we all need. In a sense, it's the missing piece. When you go before God in prayer and you're like, Dear Lord, I'm hurting. Please help. What you're asking for is an anointing. When you're like, Dear Lord, I'm lonely. Please comfort me. What are you asking for? His presence, his anointing. Saying, God, I'm weak. Strengthen, invigorate me. What are you asking for? An anointing. God, I'm sinful. I'm dirty. I need cleansed. What are you asking for? An anointing. You want healing. You want restoration. You want comfort. You want encouragement. You want love. You want an anointing. This is what we're beginning with in the life of David, God's chosen anointed one, to be king of Israel. Today we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and it's a really neat passage um, that really not only is 16, but it also goes back to 15 as well. And so what I want to do is, since most of you are older than three, even though the three, the fours and fives class was closed today, by the way, if you're four and five, welcome here. 
If you're not, maybe you should be back there volunteering. But we are going to talk today about what it means to be anointed, and not just for David, but for you and for me as well. And I want to connect it to your lives in a very real way. And so the way I'm going to do it is walk through like this, just like we always do. The first thing we'll do is we're going to give the text in context. This is a church where we preach the Word, so we begin with the Bible and we say, what does God say and what did it mean to the original hearers and therefore how do we translate that to us? So the text in context, and then what we'll see is it's talking about an ancient anointing. And we'll say, who was anointed and what was it? So the ancient anointing, who, what, you know, all that. And then we'll transfer that to today We'll say a modern anointing, who is anointed and what does it mean? So same thing then and now, and we'll just uh, sort of connect the dots there. So the first thing is this, as you know, we were uh, going through the book of Jonah, and now what we're doing is actually stepping back in biblical history even further than that. Jonah is later in biblical history, but here's a timeline or a slide of where we're at. Notice I didn't put a date by creation because I'm not giving you a date for that. But uh, the flood happens around 6,000 B.C. Uh, Abraham around 2,000. We know that the exodus occurred in 1446. King Saul was shortly before King David. Uh, Saul was the first king. He was the mess up. And then David is the next king and he is the best. And David, I'm giving you the date of 1,000. It's actually a little before and a little after, but it's a nice round number. So it gives you the idea to sort of frame it. 1,000 years before the time of Christ, you have the reign of King David. If you're going to Jonah, it's actually after this because after David comes Solomon, then Rehoboam, his son, the kingdom splits into north and south, and then Jonah was a prophet in the north. So where we were... Previously, Jonah looking uh, to the Assyrians happens after this. We're actually going back now a little bit further to King David. So this is Samuel, uh, the prophet Samuel, the book of Samuel, which gives uh, David's story, basically. Uh, Samuel chapter 16. We're going to have the words up on the slide. There's also blue Bibles in the back that you can follow along with. I'll read it to you. It's a little bit longer than some of our texts, but it's... It's a good story of how David was anointed king. So I'll read it to you, and then we'll go through it. This is 1 Samuel 16. It says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? Samuel said, Yes, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. 
And Samuel consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord is anointed before him. The Lord's anointed is before him. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called to Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And Jesse said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's out keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And Jesse sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. So who was anointed here? Well, in this passage, obviously, it's David. Um, and what's happening is this. In the Old Testament, there were several different persons who got the anointing in this passage it's a bit of a sort of a bit of a new start previously it was only prophets and priests who were anointed or consecrated for divine service now with the coming of their first king Saul and then subsequently their second king David kings have become anointed ones as well what happened is this, is back then, just so you understand it, what I'm doing now is I'm taking a deeper dive, and I'm going to spend the next several minutes going deep into anointing, and then I'm going to pull out and show you now all of these things that I'm showing you here with this ancient practice applied directly to you today. So with this ancient practice, here's what happened. Shepherds had sheep. Ta-da. Wow. That was revelational, wasn't it? Yeah, shepherds had sheep, and uh, this agrarian practice back then was different than it is now, and so what they had to do to keep the lice and ticks and all the other yucky stuff off of them is they'd pour a, sort of a cheap oil all over their mangy furs, and as a result, these things could not um, get into the sheep and mess them up. So the practice of anointing basically began with shepherds pouring a slimy liquid on their sheep to keep them well. Is that right so far? I have veterinarians sitting on the front row, so it makes me a little nervous. That's what I read. If I'm wrong, send me the bill. I don't know. So the ancient practice begins with sheep, but then what happens is that's the cheap oil to protect the livestock, but as it grew, what would happen is it would be used not only for sheep, but for people as well, because you know when your skin is soft and clean and moist, it feels good. So what they started to do going beyond the sheep is whenever a guest would come to your home, one of the first things you do is they've been traveling outside, they're wearing sandals, there's not a rest stop or McDonald's or anything like that. So, 
So you welcome them in and you say, hey, <coughs> would you like to wash up before I serve you some food and refreshment? And oh, by the way, after you do, here's a little oil. Please, would you allow me the privilege of anointing you? So they've cleaned off all the dirt and the grub, but now if there's not a little lotion or whatever put on, their hands are going to get dry in that very arid climate. So you come to them and you grab your coconut oil or your olive oil or whatever, and you pour a little drop or two on and you rub it on their hands. And I don't know if you've ever had a manicure, a pedicure, a massage or whatever, but you know when somebody else is going after your hands just a little bit like this, especially if you've been carrying your pack and walking along with your camel or donkey or whatever, that's going to feel pretty good at the end of the day. And so they're pouring it on you and they're welcoming you in. And what you get from that immediately is the sense of welcoming, the sense of hospitality, this invitation to a greater relationship. Did you get that? Here's the first thing that anointing does for you is when, when you walk into a place and they offer you anointing, what your guest, what your host what your person who you're visiting is saying to you is, you are welcome here. We're glad you're here. Don't go away. We're not shutting the door. We are welcoming you in. And not only are we welcoming you, but we're going to bless you. We want you to feel good. We want you to feel encouraged. We want you to feel refreshed. We are inviting you to even greater relationship. And as I do this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. And then after you come to the table, I'm going to fill you up so much that your cup overflows. It's a welcoming sense from the shepherd or the host or the person serving their guests to say, hey, there's a greater relationship to be had here. That's the first part of anointing. You see this also in other ways throughout Scripture. Um, so let me tell you one other thing it does there. It, not only does it welcome you, but it also protects the skin uh, from the dryness, as I said before, and what that's going to do is it's going to seal the good stuff in, and it's also going to prevent or keep the, the bad stuff without. So skin lotion or hair lotion, or if you're a guy and that doesn't really work for you, think of waxing your car. You know, you like put the wax on it, so you keep the good stuff in and the rust and the salt and all the junk out and the water beads up real nice. That's what we're talking about here. Lotion, anointing, it does something like that. So it soothes, it heals, it welcomes. It's also used medicinally in the Bible because obviously uh, their medicines weren't the same as ours. And so if you read, for example, in Luke chapter 10, I think we have a slide of it here. This is what happens in the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that because the Samaritans generally weren't thought of as good. They were the bad guys. And that's why Jesus sort of flips the script. Remember, one of the cool things that Jesus does is when people attack him and come to him with questions and accusations, he'll tell a story that flips it back on their own head. He does that here with a good Samaritan where it specifically tells us, a man wanted to justify his actions. So he says, who's my neighbor? Ha ha, you say I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Which one is my neighbor? And Jesus replies with a story. He says, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits, and they stripped him of all his clothes. They beat him up and left him dead beside the road. Then everybody passed by. You know, all the good guys walked by, and then the bad Samaritan, 
a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, and going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds and, with olive oil and wine, bandaged them. So what he's essentially doing is he's, he's applying this oil now not as a guest, but instead as a first responder, and he's saying, hey, this guy's messed up. Let's get some Neosporin. Let's clean him out. Let's bandage him up. Let's help him so he doesn't get infected. And so he's using the oil as a cleansing agent and also in a medicinal way as well. So here's the next thing that we'll apply or massage in a little bit later. <laughs> is that oil is used in a medicinal way or cleansing sort of way as well. So we have the welcoming, we have the cleansing, we have the sealing, we have all of these things going in. Um, it's also used um, in, a, in a consecratory way, or what that means is to sort of set something aside as holy. You know, what we have down here this morning is Welch's grape juice and some crackers, but even though you may drink it at a breakfast bar, this you would somewhat think of as special because we have set it aside to be a symbol of the Lord's body and blood. We have consecrated, if you will. We said, this is special. We're going to do this. It's a symbol. It's not the thing, but it is special. So too in the Old Testament with priests and with even um, utensils or furniture or objects in the temple, they would say, yes, we may normally use this stove or this oven or this altar for these purposes, but this one's going to be set aside specifically for the worship of God. We're not going to use it for anything else. And so we're going to consecrate it or we're going to set it aside in a very special ritual ceremony in which we will anoint it with special anointing oil. So the oil was used in this sense in a religious rite or a ceremonial sort of way. So, for example, if you wanted to actually make some anointing oil, this is how you would do it. You can look at the Old Testament law, and you can see that they actually provide specific recipes for the oil that you would use. Now, again, the oil is just a thing. It's not a magic potion or anything like that. But this is how the Bible describes it. If you want to make some holy anointing oil, this is what it tells you to do in Exodus. Collect choice spices. This is New Living Translation, so it translates the units of measurement. It says, get 12 and a half pounds of pure mirth. Also grab some cinnamon, a sprinkle of this, a dash of that. You're on your way to the home cooking channel or whatever. Get six and a, four pounds of this, calamus or whatever that is. Some of this cassia, one gallon of olive oil. Then you turn that over, throw it in your ninja juicer blender and it says like a skilled incense maker blend these ingredients all together and all of a sudden you've got holy anointing oil you can flip the slide one more time and we'll tell them this is what you'd use it on uh, the ark of the covenant which is the most sacred thing in the um, uh, old testament tabernacle and temple the table all the utensils the lampstand the accessories the incense altar, the altar burnt offerings, etc. Just consecrate them all and make them holy. So once you've got this beautiful oil, it's going to smell really, really good. And when you walk into that worshipful place, you're going to be 
overwhelmed with the fragrance that surrounds you. Thus, in the New Testament, when the authors pick up the fragrance of the burnt offerings or the sacrifices, you don't smell the stinky blood of the animal, but instead you smell a beautiful barbecue of the meat being offered and all these spices and all this incense going up, and that's how it describes your prayers to God. So here we are with this anointing oil. It works as a consecration, a consecration, a consecration thing and several others as well. So let me walk you through or review those real quick. And then I'll apply those to our life. So first of all, anointing oil, um, it accepts or it welcomes. That's one of the things it does. It also cleanses, soothes, heals, restores in beneficial or medicinal ways. It protects, it seals in the good stuff. It consecrates, it sets aside for sacred worship. And it strengthens for someone who's been anointed with this stuff They will feel invigorated. They will feel refreshed. They will feel better. And so what this means in this passage then for David is that basically God has done all of those things to him. God has accepted David into a new relationship. God has said, you are going to be my king and I am going to be your shepherd. It says at the very end, from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord remained with David. God is committing himself to a relationship with David. He is saying, I am now obligated. This is something like the vows in a wedding ceremony. This is an official thing. God is saying, I am obligating myself to bless you. I, on your behalf, am stepping in and saying, Here is some oil. Let me pour it on top of you and let that be a symbol of the relationship of our love and my invitation to you to walk with me the rest of the days of your life and to stay in that relationship. And as long as you do so, I'm going to be open and receptive and loving and blessing towards you. David's going to need that. You look at David's life, and as it develops, there are many people that hate him, indeed people that even want to kill him. And yet God has committed himself unconditionally to stay with David forever and ever. Anointing oil also cleanses, and if you know the life of David, you will know that there are many times where he will need this anointing. He will need cleansing. He will sin and sin greatly, and he will desperately cry out, for God's anointing or God's cleansing power in his life. Anointing oil also protects, and as I said, he is running for his life multiple times from lions, from bears, from giants, from kings, from even his own son. He will need God's anointing. It consecrates, it sets aside. This is the Messiah, the anointed one, the um, forerunner of the Christ. David has been consecrated. He is also will need strengthening, revigorating, and given strength. All of these things that anointing oil does, David will need. And I will say to you and to me, brothers and sisters in Christ, even though we are not kings, no one has said you will reign over the people of Israel, That just like David, we will need all of those things in our lives as well. 
We all desperately long for an unconditional love from someone who will always welcome and receive us. We all need to be cleansed. We all need to be encouraged. We all need to be strengthened. We all need to be invigorated. We all need to be protected. We want to be consecrated, made holy, and we want to be strengthened for the coming days ahead. What we need is anointed. That's what we're praying for when we ask for that. We're not praying for any hocus-pocus, almacocus. We're not praying for anything weird, but we're praying in a very real and tangible way that God will help and bless us. We're asking for Him to anoint us. So the question that we have then is, man, I don't see Samuel. I don't see anyone running over here to pour oil on my head. Am I anointed? Who's anointed? Are you anointed? Is only the prophets and the priests and the kings? Because that's not, is that us now? 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, You have been anointed by the Holy One. Not, of course, in the same way as David, but perhaps even better. Romans 8 tells us that we have become fellow heirs with Christ. What do you mean, Pastor? Because I'm not dripping with oil right now, so I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Anointed? Who? What? Where? When? How? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, It's God who does this. He establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has put on us his seal. Oh, yeah, you remember that? Like that oil, it sort of seals the stuff in. We've got a seal. And how did he do this? Not with oil, but he has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee of his commitment and relationship to us. He is welcoming us and inviting us into the relationship. And this oil, this seal, this spirit that he has placed on us is the symbol of that. And it's such a beautiful picture. Now it all makes sense. Why would God use oil in the New Testament? Well, how in the world do you describe a spirit? You can't touch it. You can't, can you feel it? Well, yeah, maybe you can. Can you smell it? I don't know. But what happens with oil? Oil is this amazing, beautiful substance. It symbolizes the mystical presence of God such that the shapeless, invasive fluid is poured over you and it smells like cinnamon and spice and all these things that are nice and it comes and it fills your pores and it drips off of you and it goes into you. And where did it go? I don't know, but there it is. I know it's there. I can't exactly see it or tell you where it went, but somehow it went inside of me. And now it fills me. And now I feel better. And now I'm clean. And now I smell better. And wherever I go, it goes. And it's with me all the time, even though it's not like walking right beside me as a canister of oil. Yet it's invaded me. And it's become part of me. And if it's good stuff, I'll smell it all day long. How sweet is the aroma of the feet who bring good news. God's Spirit 
is like oil. And when you move into the New Testament, you're not sacrificing lambs in the Holy of Holies. Instead, you're seeing Christ sacrificed on the cross, and it's no longer oil that's being sprinkled, but blood. And not the blood of the lamb, but the blood of Jesus. And through the blood of Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes in, and He invades, and He fills, and He protects, and He invigorates, and He restores, and He encourages, and that is there for you all the time. You can pray for God's anointing every single day. It's there, right there with you. This is Ray battling Kylo Ren. And she's about to get thrown off into the edge of the abyss. And she thinks she's going to die. And all of a sudden, she just closes her eyes and takes a deep breath. And What does she need? Anointing. And the force or the spirit or whatever you want to call it invades and runs in then. And all of a sudden, she's empowered and she's strong and fear completely dissipates and she walks forward in confidence knowing whatever's in front of me, I can face it. I'm good. She's been anointed. This is what anointing means for, for David. This is what anointing means for me and for you. Regardless of where you're at, doesn't matter, day, time, week, condition, anything. You can pray for God's anointing. You can take a big breath and you don't have to say, Lord, give me this or give me that or make me strong or make me unafraid. You can just pray, God, I need your anointing. I need that spirit to invade me just like the oil the Old Testament did and fill me up and strengthen me and cleanse me and encourage me and make me feel good and welcome me into your presence and go with me from this day forward. And if you do that, man, I'm anointed. And I don't have to be King David and I don't have to be anything else. I can just be me. And I can walk with Jesus in confidence knowing that he is with me. I can walk into a difficult situation and say, Lord, are you with me? Yep, I'm there. Oh, good. <laughs> I couldn't quite tell. And I would have been concerned if you weren't. But now that I know you're here, I'm good. All right, let's go. What is it? Are you with me, God? Yeah, can you smell me? Well, i sure. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. Can you feel me? Yeah. Do you sense me in the room? Yeah. He's there. Just like the oil. The Holy Spirit, here's the theme for today. This is what I'm trying to communicate to you. The anointing Holy Spirit, this is what he does. He accepts you, he restores you, he strengthens, and he protects you. This is the job of God's Spirit. As I walked through this week, I thought, man, that is so profound. I mean, I don't know how that strikes you, and I'm out of time, so I'm closing up. But for me, this is what it means so I look at my life and I think of all the things I pray for and all the things I need, that's probably about the thing I need the most. It's God's anointing. I want to feel connected to Christ. I want to feel that God is with me. I want to feel encouraged. I want to feel loved. I want to feel strength. I need an anointing. That's what I need. And we go about it so wrong sometimes. We look at ourselves and we listen to the, the blitz of our culture and our media and it says, man... If you do this, then you measure up. And if you do that, then you're good enough. And if you do this, then you can feel good about yourself. And that has nothing to do with what I read in the Bible. In fact, what I read the exact opposite. And this is, in fact, why Saul 
failed. The king that came before David, I think, was rejected for this very reason. Because he was looking at himself through man's eyes. He was comparing himself to other people instead of going after the heart of God. So when Samuel finally comes to him, just the chapter before, in verse 15, he actually explains to us exactly what anointing is in his rebuke of Saul. Because Saul had missed it. Saul did not realize or understand that he was anointed. And so Samuel comes to Saul, and this is what he says. This sums up anointing, I think, very well. He, Samuel says to Saul, Hey, Saul, though you're little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you. Now, why would Saul think he's small? He's the king, right? Well, yeah, but he's not the pharaoh. He's not the Babylonian or Assyrian or whoever is northeast of him or southwest of him or anywhere else. He's just the boss of some little, you know, tribe of wanderers from the family of Abraham. He's not a big shot with sphinxes and pyramids and no chariots. He's just some ragaband, you know, ragamuffin band of whoever's traveling gypsies. No big deal. Who am I? No, Saul, you missed it. You totally missed it. Though you're small in your own eyes, that doesn't matter. You, are you not the Lord's anointed? Midland Free, you get this right. and Don't ever forget it and get it right now. However you compare yourself, throw it away. Flop it to the ground. It is trash. It is not about intelligence. It is not about looks. It is not about money. It is not about accomplishments. It is not about popularity or whatever else. doesn't matter. And even if you don't quite stack up in all those human comparisons, it's off the table. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the Lord's anointed? Didn't I just read a voice that said, you are anointed by the Holy One? It is God who's done this, not you, so you don't take credit or blame. You're not guilty and you're not great. You're just His. And all His. And nothing more. And that is all you need. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the Lord's anointed? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. As a result of my anointing, I know 
your unconditional faithfulness and commitment to abide with me wherever I go. And therefore, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Father, you are good. We thank you for your anointing. The presence and power that your Holy Spirit provides are absolutely matchless and beyond compare. And Lord, we need it. And we confess that we forget all the time. All we have to do is close our eyes and you're there. You are with us wherever we go, behind us, before us, in front, in, through, all around, just like the oil. And we pray that we would grab a hold of that with all our might and never let go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.